At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. If you have your Bibles, open them uh, to Revelation chapter 22. We are in the final week of our series, the final chapter of the Bible, um, going through this series, All Things New. And we've been going through this for the last month and a half, um, going through what it looks like for Christ's return. And I'll ask you today, how many of you guys are preparers? Preppers, preparers. How many of you guys prepare for situations? Only a few of you. So see... I love to be prepared. I love to be prepared for a situation. Even though I'm last minute, I still love to be prepared and have everything that I need when I go on a trip. See, I love uh, the outdoors. And so I had the opportunity uh, years ago to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail uh, from one side of Georgia to the other. And as me and about six other individuals, we started to prepare for this trip months in advance. We started to get the right gear, all the situations that we would go through, the, the physical aspect of it, carrying the pack for that many days and, and carrying all your food and your clothing and all of that. So I had to start shedding weight and, and getting physically fit. And somehow I lost all that. Um, and now I'm not physically fit. But that was, you know, years ago. And so I started to collect all the right things to go on this trip so that I was prepared when I went on this trip. Anything from uh, waterproof matches to a first aid kit to one of those life straws that you can suck water out of a mud puddle, you know, those things. And it actually comes out clear. They do work. I've tried it. Um, but all the things. I wanted to make sure that I was completely prepared for every situation that might come along the way. Being prepared is important. See, the anticipated experience of the hike compelled us to be prepared, to be prepared for everything that might come our way. And I want to ask today, what about preparing for paradise? What about preparing for when Christ's second return, when, when Christ comes back to to claim his throne, to come back and take over, to, to heal all things, to come back to make all things new, to come back for his children. What are we doing to prepare for paradise? What does it look like? We all prepare for different things, but do we prepare for that? Do we think about it? Do we actually walk through what it looks like and how I'm living my life and what I'm doing now to prepare myself for when Christ returns? Because again, we don't know the time or day that he will. Over the last several weeks, I've, I've said we've been going through this incredible series uh, that the Apostle John is writing in Revelation, and he's giving us this vision. Our series is called All Things New, and we're walking through what does it look for Christ's returns? What does it look like when he actually comes back? And, and walking through what that actually looks like, the triumphal entry and, and, and how he casts Hades and death and he casts the devil into the lake of fire. And then last week we looked at the, the throne and how the river would come from the throne, the river of life. And, and we're all the way up to this point in chapter 22 where we're looking at if this is our destiny, if this is our final place, if this is where we are to be in the end as believers, as followers of Christ then how should we live today? 
How should we actually act today? How should we live our lives out today in preparation for when Christ returns? How should we prepare for it? See, when we see John's vision and what it means, it should affect the way we live our lives here and now. We need to be prepared so that we're not caught off guard when it actually happens. When I was working at the Lake Orion campus for 12 years, one of the things that we love to do as staff, we're not a serious staff, uh, working with your brother can do that for you. But um, man, we were just a crazy staff. We were always looking to have fun and we were always looking to spook someone else out or, or like to scare someone, right? And so we had uh, a couple of admins and, and there was a bunch of those guys and we, we had church in a castle. So if you don't know that, the Lake Orion campus is in a castle and people say it's haunted. I don't know, um, but they say it's haunted. So we would always tell the girls, we hear things and like, man, there's something coming. Like, I think I saw something. And so we would always try to scare them, whether it was like put a mask on, hide in the little turret, uh, the like the stairway and as they come around the corner jump out at them and I remember this one time like me and Josh we got in the elevator and the elevator opens up at the office and right there at the desk of Susan our admin and so we got in the elevator and we went to the top floor right to the office but we hid behind the walls and we were like pushing the button and the elevator would open and go ding and then it was shut and then we push it again and go ding and we did this about five times until finally Susan's like do you guys hear that? And so Susan and Erica, they come around the corner and the elevator opens again. Ding. They're like, nobody's in it. And so they start walking closer. And as they get within five feet, we jump out and we're like, ah! And they're like, they both hit the ground. I think they both wet their pants. I think it was over at that point. They quit their jobs for the, for the moment. But they were like, oh my gosh, I was not prepared for that. There was no anticipation. Like, they did not know what was coming. They thought they were going to die in that moment. See, this isn't just information, as we'll see today. This is to prepare us. It should move us to live in anticipation of Jesus' return. It shouldn't surprise us. We have to prepare for it. We have to live in a way that we're anticipating Jesus' return. And so, how should we live? I'm glad you asked. The first thing we see that we're called to is to keep God's word, as we see in verses 6 through 11, that we have to keep God's word. What does that mean? Let's read in verse 6. As he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with the, those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. See, we're here at the end of John's vision, and he's been showing us and trying to put a bow on it, trying to tie it up here and give us the, the end of the story. John starts this last part of our scripture out by letting us know that all the things that he's told us 
are completely true and trustworthy. That they're completely true and trustworthy. This is something that he started um, out with in, in his vision that we see in 21.5. And now he's telling us again that we can trust these things, that they're true, that we can bank on them, that they're trustworthy. What is it that we can trust? What's he talking about here? He says this, that we are blessed if we keep the words of the prophecy of this book. See, there's a blessing here that we get to experience if we keep the words. Why is it so important for us to keep the words here? A couple things that we see here in our passage. Why to keep the words? The first thing that we look at is, just as we said a minute ago, that they are true and trustworthy. They aren't just something that someone made up. They're not someone's opinion. They're not something thought up in the air. It's something that is true that we can bank on, that, that they're trustworthy. Why are they trustworthy? Because they're directly from the Lord, the God of prophets, it says. Meaning, the same God that inspired the prophets of old, and what they said came true. This same God sent an angel to show his vision to John. This is the same God to let him know this information that, that it's trustworthy and it's true. We can bank on it. The other thing we see is because John got it firsthand. What does he say? He says, I heard and saw these things. I saw them myself. I heard them myself. Have you ever heard something third, maybe secondhand? Or that little game you play where, where you whisper into somebody's ear and they whisper it and then they whisper it. And by the end of that, you're like, that's not, ex not anything like I said. It's completely distorted. It's not the same thing, right? That's what John's saying. He's here. I I'm the one who actually heard it from the angel. I'm the one who got the news. I am the one that heard it and saw it. And so it came firsthand. We see that the angel that was sent actually affirms everything. And how does he do that? When John is so blown away by this, it says that what? He fell and worshiped, right? He literally fell down in worship. He hit his knees when he saw this. He was so mesmerized and blown away by what he saw in, in this vision that he fell at the angel's feet and he worshiped. And what does the angel do? The angel says, you must not do that. What are you doing? Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and, and your brothers, the prophet, and with those who keep the words of this book. He says, worship God. Basically, only worship God. He's the only one worthy of praise. He's the only one that we should be worshiping. Worship God. Don't worship me. I'm a servant, just like you. See, this whole idea of keeping God's word is important for us as believers. Imagine if someone you looked up to or, or someone that maybe you thought very highly of, maybe it's a famous sports person or a famous actor or a famous writer or, or, or maybe a famous singer and, and maybe it's a, a high-up government official. Maybe not. But it was someone that you thought was really cool, really important, and this person sent their head of security or, or maybe their chief of staff or somebody to your house and they said, hey, guess what? They're coming to your house for dinner. And then they leave. Now, what would you do in that moment? Like, if that person's important. You think very highly of them. And, and now they're coming to your house for dinner. Would you just say, oh, man, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for them. No. We would get prepared, right? You would tidy up. Hopefully, you would clean up, make sure everything's in place, make sure dinner's in, and we'd bring out the steak, right? 
Got to have the best dinner. We're going to make sure that we're prepared for this person that's coming. We want to make sure that we're prepared. We're anticipating their arrival. See, in the same way, this is what we as believers should be doing. Why? Because of what it says right here in verse 7 where Jesus himself says, And behold, I am coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That I'm coming. That he is coming. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Tidy up. Get your house in order. Get ready for this coming. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming. My question is, is are you ready? Are you prepared? The way in which we get ready by keeping his word, the Bible, the scripture, the word of God, that, that we're keeping his word. This is something we see all throughout the scripture, this urging to keep the word. We see Moses urged the Hebrew nation to bind the law God had given them as a sign on your hand and write them on the doorposts of your house in Deuteronomy. We see Joshua, as he took over leadership from Moses, was urged by God to mediate on God's law Day in, or meditate on God's law day and night and be careful to do according to all that is written in it in Joshua 1. We see David calls out in his poem to devote ourselves to the scripture and it would keep us clean and right. It would be a light to our path in Psalm 119. We see Jesus said that if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him, John 14. We see Paul calls Timothy and us to be devoted to the scriptures as it is profitable for all things in 2 Timothy 3. And now here in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we see the same emphasis that blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Meaning study the word, keep it. You have to study it and keep it, hide it in your heart. And why? Because if you do, you'll be blessed, right? I think sometimes we actually neglect it. We don't actually hide it. We actually have to know it. We have to study it. We have to meditate on it. We have to hide it in our hearts in order that we can actually keep it. In order that we can actually abide by it. See, the angel tells John not to seal it up. Meaning, don't keep this a secret. Don't seal it up. Don't hide it. Let everyone know. This is a, the diff a difference from when the angel told Daniel long ago in chapter 12 of Daniel. The, the angel gives him a vision of the heavenly perspective of future events and then tells him to seal it up. Keep it to yourself. He says, the words that shut up, the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. This is different. He says, tell everyone. Don't keep it sealed up. Why? For the time is near, he says. The time's coming. He's coming. The time is near. Don't seal it up. Tell everyone. So keep the words. What does he mean by keep the words of the prophecy? It means to guard or observe, to watch carefully, to prevent injury. Don't get distracted. Man, I think a lot of times in our life now we have that cell phone, right? We, we have this. And this distracts us from a lot of different things, right? Sometimes it can distract us from our kids. Sometimes it can distract us from the moment. Sometimes it can just distract us from life. 
My wife tells me all the time, like, hey, uh, you're driving. Don't check your phone. I don't, that's sin. I wouldn't do that. But sometimes you're driving down the road and you bloop, and you're like, you know, you're checking. It's distracting you from driving down the road straight and making the path, right? I drive up to some lights sometimes and you got that one person who's sitting at the light and it turned green, but they're still texting. And you're like, hello, honk, like move, right? Get off your phone. And then you're guilty of it at the next light. But there are a lot of things out there today that can distract us, right? That can tell us that God's not in control, that, that we're losing control in the world and, and, and God's not in control, that we better step up and we better try and make it different and, and we can do it, not God. There's many things out there that can distract us from what God wants us to do. There's many things that can distract us from, from what God wants us to see or be or act or love. There's a lot of different things out there today that can distract us from these things. My word to you would be don't be distracted. Keep the word. We have to learn it. We have to trust it. We have to actually follow it. The question here is, is there a consistency in your life reading the word? Do you take time to study it so that you're equipped to keep the word, right? You have to actually read it and know it to actually keep it. I think sometimes we just put it on the shelf and we say, oh, we'll get to it later. Or, or hey, I don't have time for that because a life gets in the way and, and i got to work, right? Or, or my kids have this and i got to attend to that or, or this. And we find all the excuses in the world not to read the Word and not to study the Word. I'm guilty of it. But we find all these excuses that can tell us we don't have time. How are we supposed to keep the Word if we don't know it? How are we actually supposed to live by it? How are we actually supposed to know how to walk and talk and live if we don't actually read the Word? We have to actually study it, read it, hide it in our hearts so that when the time comes and we actually have to do something about it, we can keep the Word because we know what it says. We've memorized it. We've meditated on it. We've hidden it in our hearts. We're not distracted by everything around us. Maybe you are. If you are, are you living out the word? Are you living it out in a manner that's glorifying to God and not yourself? See, that's also part of keeping God's word, keeping the word. Keeping the word means that I know it, submit to its teachings, and allow it to form my beliefs and behaviors. See, it's one thing to know the word, to keep it up here and head knowledge, but it's another thing to act it out and actually do something about it and actually live it out and, and love people around us? Because we can know all the things in the world, and, and if we don't actually do something about it, then there's no point in knowing them, right? I can know how to fix a motor, but if I never fix my motor, then it's never going to be fixed, right? So we have to actually act it out. We have to do it. We have to keep the word. We have to know it, submit to its teachings, allow it to form us. The second thing we see to live in anticipation of Jesus' return is to wash your robes. If we look in verses 12 through 15, it says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life 
and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves the practices or practices falsehood. I think it's interesting here that right before this in verse 11, the angel commands John. He literally commands him, gives him a command to let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. That's a pretty strange command, don't you think? It's a strange command to give someone to say, hey, let the filthy still be filthy and, and, and let the, the, the evildoers still do evil. Why would you command that? What this means is now that the future has been unveiled, now that you've seen all of this, now that you know you have the head knowledge, you've seen what the future holds, you've seen what happens in the end, what he's saying is go ahead and keep doing what you will. There's freedom. You can, you can choose what you want. Do what you want. You make your own decisions and you have to actually deal with the consequences of them. So do you. Right? But we have to remember the next verse where it says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. That Jesus is coming to judge and repay everyone for what they have done. That there will be no excuses or blaming someone else. No saying, the devil made me do it. You'll have to answer for what you've done. If it's evil or filth, You'll have to answer for that. If you're striving to be righteous and holy, then even better. But the point is that everyone will have to answer for what they've done. Then when he says that he's coming soon since it's been like 2,000 years since this has been written, like what does he mean by that? What is this idea of soon? I mean, I don't know about you, but 2,000 years doesn't seem like soon to me. But what does he mean by this? What does he mean by he's coming soon? Well, we know that the Bible says that he will come at the time that only the Father knows. That you can't know it, I can't know it, that only the Father knows when he will come. We don't know when that will be, but what we do know is that he's at work now bringing victory over his enemies. That he's bringing victory over his enemies even now that he is at work through the Holy Spirit that he will come but he's already present as well. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That he started it and he's going to end it. That he is present even now. And the reality is that he's coming again and because of that truth, says we are called to wash our robes so we have the right to the tree of life and the glorious city. One writer puts it this way, Revelation does not suggest that people receive blessings or keep the words of its prophecy by speculating about the date of the battle of Armageddon. Rather, the blessed are those who wash their robes through faith in Christ and faithfulness to Christ, pursuing righteousness and holiness and resisting evil, impurities, falsehood, and other forms of sin. When he talks about washing their robes, this is something that we do before. It's a prerequisite to experience this incredible moment 
of God's plan, the, the new heaven and the earth that he talks about and we've been talking about. John had mentioned this before when he described the scene of worship around the throne of God where he says, people from every nation, from all tribes and, people and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And then in verse 14 he continues, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That by Christ's death on the cross, the sacrificial atonement, he paid the price for our sin, for your sin, and we are justified by his blood, as it says in Romans 5, 9. That we are made clean, figuratively speaking, like literally clean, right? Our robes have been washed in his blood or by his blood. We're forgiven. We get to experience this new city. Then he talks about those who are not, who have not been washed, the ones that will be on the outside of the gate, he says. Then the ones that choose to live the way they want, they, they choose to live in their own selfish desires, the ones that rejected Christ. See, it's the decisions that they made. And now they have to deal with the consequences. See, God doesn't say, I'm going to force you to believe. There's nowhere in here that God says, I'm going to force you to take the invitation that I'm giving you so that you can or you have to live in the city with me. That's not what he says. He says, it's your choice. Here's the free invitation. You take it or leave it. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care the sin that you've lived in. I don't care what has happened before this moment. Here's the invitation. If you take the invitation and accept Christ, you are made new. You are clean. Your robe is cleaned. You're washed in the blood. He doesn't require it. He just gives the invite and you have to take it. Sometimes in life, I think we get invitations to things that maybe we don't want to be a part of, right? Some of you may hate weddings and you get another wedding invitation and your wife slaps it up on the fridge and you see that thing when you get home and you're like, really? Another one? Didn't we just go to one? Like how many people can get married in one year? Right? Right? And you get that invitation and you're like, how can we get out of this? Like, let's think this through, right? It's going to save us money. We get a weekend to ourselves. How do we get out of this wedding, right? And you think of all the possibilities that you can finally, like, come to the thing. Like, I'm going to send the RSVP back and say, we can't make it. Sorry. Thanks for the invite, right? Or my wife, I, I hate when she puts things on the calendar in November. Yeah, you all know, men know what I'm talking about. When she puts something on that Saturday night and the wind is right and I'm like, hey, it's hunting season. Why would you do this to me? Like, I, I got to be in the woods. It's Saturday night. I'm free, right? And I don't need something else on the calendar. I got to get in the woods because the wind's right. I can go out there and get this, right? Sometimes we don't go to those things. We get the invite and we hear about them later and we realized that we missed out. That it, it was actually a really fun time and we actually missed out. The difference in that invitation and this one is that this invitation has eternal consequences. This invitation actually is life or death. It has eternal consequences. So my question is simply this. Have you accepted the free invitation from Christ? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? See, I, I would be lying if I was like, yeah, everyone in this room is a believer. Everyone in this room is a follower of Christ. See, 
I would hope that, and, and my prayer would be that, but, but the reality is, is that there is probably someone here that has not given their life to Christ. There's somebody here who has not accepted the free invitation from Christ. And so my prayer for you today is that you would. Don't wait. Don't weigh your options. Don't think you have more time because we don't know the time when he actually returns. See, he says, I'm coming, right? But he doesn't say when. He just says soon. Could be today, tomorrow, whenever. So don't wait. Don't weigh your options. Don't hesitate. Don't miss out on what God has for you and the experience and the moment that he can have with you when you can actually experience the glory of God and experience being in his presence in the city. You don't want to miss that. So my prayer is that you would receive the invitation today. Which brings me to my last point. That we need to come to the Lord. We need to come to the Lord. Revelation twenty two sixteen says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things say, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Here in 16, we see Jesus speaking and he affirms again that he is the one who has sent the angel, that it's him. He's the one who sent the angel, that it's his message, his vision that he's giving to John, not anyone else's. And then in verse 17, he gives an invitation. He says, come. Now there are two invitations here. The first is for the one who hears. What does he mean by that? Meaning those who have accepted the invitation already. Believers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That he says, hey, the ones who hear. It's an invitation to share the good news of the gospel. That we as believers are invited to share the good news of the gospels. It says, and let the ones who hear say come. Or the ones who accepted. We extend the invite. We invite everyone. Let, let them know about the good news. We're called to invite as believers others. And then the second one is, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price, that it doesn't cost us a thing. See, this is the invitation we're talking about for all. All who are thirsty, come and drink of the living water. It's a similar passage to Isaiah 55, 1, where it says, Come, everyone who, th who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you're so thirsty or so hungry that you just cannot handle it. 
But I remember years ago, a couple years ago, I was out in Kansas and, and we were hunting and it was like this public land. We were a few miles in and it was like 100 degrees September. It was so hot and we had run out of water and we were packing this deer out. And it was so hot that like a mile in, I literally could feel my tongue shrinking and my throat closing. And I thought, this is the end. I'm going to die doing what I love. And I was like, this can't be happening. I, I'm, I need water like right now. Like I would have taken a mud puddle without the life straw and dipped my head down in it and drank. I would have, I was at that point. I was so thirsty that I would have done anything for water. The question is, are you experiencing a thirst or hunger in your heart today? Is there something in your life that you're missing? Are you experiencing this thirst or this hunger for something more than what life has to offer? The reality here is that you are invited. You are invited. That you can be a part of this. That you can experience the living water. That you'll never thirst again. This is the invitation that Christ gives to you. See, Christ will return someday. He's here now in the Spirit, moving in the lives of believers and drawing others to himself. But one day he will return in all his glory to restore and make all things new. And my question is, are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared for that day? Have you accepted the invitation? If so, are, are you inviting others to buy into this life? Are you inviting others to, to be a part of it by the way you talk, by the way you live, by the way you love others around you? Would people say, hey, he is something different? Are you inviting others into this? See, if I, as I've said before, when we look at Revelation, when we read through this passage, when, when we look at Revelation as a whole and the end of the story as we looked in the last month and a half, it should actually move us, Right? I've said that several times, that, that it should move us into some sort of action. That we don't just hear the words and we go, oh, that's cool. One day I'm going to be there. No, it should move us. It should compel us. It should, should create a sense of urgency in us that says, hey, I know what's happening in the end. I know where I'm going, but is someone else going with me? Or maybe I need to change the way I live and maybe I need to accept the invitation. It should move us in some sort of way to actually say... What am I doing about it? How do I move? What is it for you today? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.